from Kurtco Media. This is Cars That Matter. This is Robert Roth welcoming you to another episode of Cars That Matter. And I have a very special guest from far away. Actually, we're having a video conference from Los Angeles to France. And I'm here with Christophe Georges, President and CEO of Bentley Americas. Christophe, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Robert, for having me today. It's really my pleasure. We have not seen one another for a long time. I think the most recent get-together was for the launch of one of the very auspicious Continental GTs at a dinner back on the East Coast. Since that time, a lot has happened. You were president and CEO at the time, and then you took over as global director of product and marketing for a period, and then back into the hot seat in Americas. With as the- I to come back, yes. <laughs> well, obviously, you thought there was some great work to do. You're kind of an outlier in the world of automotive executives because you've been with Bentley for a long time. You know, I'm like our customers. Once you fell in love with Bentley, it's very difficult to change. Talk about authentic. <laughs> so, yes, I joined Bentley in 98. It was one month after Boston Group purchased our company. So 22 years ago, I still have not changed the way I speak, even if I speak for a British brand and in America, I cannot change this. <laughs> but I've been Bentley for a very long time and it has been fascinating. And I don't feel having been with Bentley for such a long time. You came on really at the, let's call it the beginning of the new Bentley. Yeah, it was. Ferdinand Piesch was on a roll. He'd acquired Bugatti that year. Yes. Bentley was brand new and it was an opportunity to open a new chapter in the book of a Mark that had been around since 1919. Yes, and this is what we did. Again, when I joined in 98, one month after Volkswagen Group purchased our company, we massively invested in our factory and in new projects like Continental GT, was totally resurrected our company. That's right. And this was the start of it. And when we needed, obviously, time to develop the car and to introduce it in markets, but when we introduced it in 2004, it was immediately a huge success. And within four years, we multiplied our business by a factor of 10. So we totally changed the scale of our company with this new Continental GT and product derivative coming after. I sure remember that launch and it has been a perennial favorite of American luxury consumers ever since. The Continental GT really did move the needle. And you know, if I relate it to the title of your show, which is Cars which matters. That's really a car which matters in the history of the automotive. And today, the car became very quickly a classic. And you don't have a lot of icon in the car industry. You can name a few. A Porsche 11 will be an icon. That's right. A Continental GT just became an icon. It really did. My simple definition of an icon, if you want to know if it is one or not, that traditionally when you launch a new car or the next generation of an existing car, People ask me the question, what is new? Show me the new design, the new features, specification, technology, performance, and so on. When you are launching the next generation of an icon, the first question from people is, is it still a Continental GT? <laughs> is it still a Porsche 911? Right. And that's a very simple way to look at it. And Continental GT has very quickly achieved this status. 
in the marketplace. Well, it absolutely did. And what's remarkable is that even under the aegis of a new company or a brand new Bentley, shall we say, it really harkened back to the roots and the heritage of certainly Bentley's greatest post-war car, the Continental. Yes. I mean, that was a remarkable fastback design that was the greatest, yes. well, literally Continental tourer and remains a, a hugely important collector car today. Yes, the car which has been the inspiration of Continental GT was the airtype in 1952. And this was, at the time, the fastest four-door coupe in the market. What Continental GT became as well. So we took a lot of this inspiration, even in terms of design and car line, even if we do it in a modern way. But you can see the inspiration. And you know, when you are working in luxury, it is so essential that you always relate back to some good fundamentals we have and substance we have in the company, which has been nurtured for so many years. It's true. Of course, a couple of years ago, you launched what you call the New Continental. And what I think is remarkable about it is that so many times refreshes or new designs don't capture the essence or beauty of their original. But this car looks better than ever. Yes. It's a remarkable thing. It is. I mean, it is a third generation of Continental GT. So again, we put a lot of attention on not changing the recipe on what has made the success of Continental GT being this combination of luxury performance of a supercar, all this luxury attribute, a package which allows you to have extraordinary journey in terms of driving like a grand tour should do. This package with a four-wheel drive, your practical space, the comfort, the performance is just unique in the marketplace. And this was the recipe for success of the first Continental GT. I think it's important to remember, if our audience does not know, that all Bentleys from that model range, and of course the Bentayga, are all-wheel drive vehicles. You've also made some progress in terms of choices of power plants because apart from the brilliant W12 engine that was originally developed, I guess, for the Volkswagen Phaeton back in the Stone Age, you are now using the tried-and-true four-liter V8 that has become a cornerstone of the V8 engine lineup. Yes, I mean, it is delivering different characteristics. It really relates to what you are looking for with your car. A V8 would have performance dynamic or characteristic being different than W12, it is not delivered the same way. So W12 is supreme, a lot of power, extremely fast. The V8 feels a little bit more spicy, a little bit more sporty. Yeah. And the sound, the sound is not the same. That's right. So in luxury, I hate to speak of stratification of product. One product, one engine is better than the other one. It's absolutely not the case between V8 and W12. I will encourage a customer, obviously, to, to drive both and to see which one fits the most their personal preferences. Having spent time behind the wheel of both, I would agree that in many ways the V8 is the more rewarding to drive in a sporting way. Of course, for some of those long-haul journeys, there's nothing like the W12. Similar, of course, to the Continental in terms of its platform is a car that is new for you now, and you call it the new new flying spur. I saw a prototype or a pre-production example on the road some time ago, and I chased it down to get a better look. What a beautiful car. 
Tell us about that one and what makes it new. The car is entirely new compared to the second generation of Flying Spur. You spoke about the platform, so the proportion of the car are different. Uh, the wheelbase being a little bit uh, longer and more upfront, so the overhang is much shorter. So the car, I mean, it's difficult on the radio today to show a car, but it will look as sportier as a stance. It looks very dynamic, obviously very charismatic at the same time with the new front and the grille with the Flying B mascot, which can be retractable. So a lot of charisma and presence for the front. And when you look at the back, because of the design of the lights, and naturally the, the car is white, obviously, but the design of the light and the shape of it, so the car really looks sitting on the road, very powerful, very wide. You know, and it's part of the Bentley attribute. In terms of mass, most of the weight is always on the back. You are being pushed, if I can express it this way. Right. But it takes all new technology you can see and you can have on Continental GT on the next generation. So in terms of innovation, technology, the state of the art in luxury. But it's a four-door, it's a sedan, and therefore you have as well a high degree of luxury and comfort in the rear compartment. It's really a car you can drive or you can be driven. And it's not me saying it, it is your experts saying that it's probably the best luxury sedan in the world. To a point where you have followed the news, we are not going to replace Mulsanne. You know, in the past, we had Mulsanne up to now, we the best of Bentley in terms of craftsmanship, luxury, attention to detail, coachwork, and all the cars are being made especially for, for customers and commissioned especially for them. And then we had Flying Spur being a little bit more innovative, agile, and sportier, etc. That's right. The new Flying Spur is really a great combination of all these attributes and components. It's simply the best luxury sedan in the world. So should we invest for something different or better on top. At some point, we don't see the rationale. Having one luxury sedan in our portfolio, which can accomplish all the role of the two previous, is a great achievement to us. That's right. And then we can invest in a new project, electrification, etc. The market is moving. And we need to be able to set the trend as we have always done. That's a very interesting explanation of the model lineup. I've always been a fan of the Mulsanne. I had an opportunity to drive one of the more recent ones from Los Angeles to San Francisco and would have to say that it's probably one of the most memorable and magnificent rides I've had just because of the grandeur of the car, the audio system. I remember listening to some Handel Oratorio at full tilt with the cruise control on and enjoying a ride that was absolutely opulent in every way. And it expressed luxury as it rarely gets expressed. But with the sedan take rate, as they call it in the market, diminishing, it's certainly easy to understand why Bentley would prefer to place their stake in the ground with one great sedan that happens to be the best that they can possibly make. But that doesn't mean that four doors are going away. <laughs> and as you say, Mulsanne will remain as something extremely unique, classic. I was there when we launched it at Pebble Beach in 2009. Yeah. And since this day, it has been something just unique in the market. And it will remain a classic. And you are going to see it at Pebble Beach for many years to come. This is diving deep into the details. But if someone opens one of the rear doors and examines the craftsmanship and the finish of the interior door jam, there are no visible welds. There are no visible seams. It's the most impeccable bodywork that could 
possibly be achieved in a so-called series production automobile. But let's dive deeper into the Bentley model lineup because the SUVs have come to reign supreme on the roads, certainly in America. And with that, you've got a new Bentayga. Bentayga, again, like Continental GT, you now with Bentayga, we have innovated in the luxury sphere because we were the first luxury maker developing, investing, and launching an SUV. And a lot of people said at the time, sacrilege. Do you understand the word sacrilege? <laughs> well, it did seem sacrilegious in a way, but then again, <laughs> the old joke is that Bentley made the fastest trucks in the world back when they were racing in the 30s yes. because they were big brutes. Yes. They were big, heavy cars, and they took on the lightweight competition from France and Italy and and they absolutely slaughtered them with their speed and their durability. <laughs> That's sort of what the Bentega did. Yes, but then it's a question for many people. How can a luxury brand do an SUV? But we knew. We knew our customers. We know what they own and the number of cars they have. And they have SUVs in their collections. And it was a request made by our customer first. And then we did it. It became extraordinary SUV in terms of performance. It's the fastest SUV in the world in terms of technology and in terms of Bentley attributes related to craftsmanship in comfort and all these luxury codes and attributes. And it did work very well to a point where every other luxury brands launching or considering launching an SUV. So we have opened the market as we did with Continental G. We created a GT market. Well, your first Bentayga was launched in 2015. I remember that launch vividly because I was helicoptered into the Mojave Desert to do things to a luxury car that I would never dreamt of doing before. <laughs> and I still remember how incredibly capable the machine was. It's one thing to expect a Jeep or a Rover to do something dirty, but that Bentley was able to hold its own with SUVs that were purpose-built for nothing but inclement weather and difficult terrain. It was a remarkable car. But I guess after five years, it's time for a new refresh. And that's what the new Bentega is. That's a new Bentega. I mean, it really became a new car. We started to have an idea of a refresh, but it became a new car with a totally new design. If you look at the rear design, it has totally changed. The front is much more charismatic. and The rear is giving signs of the performance of the car and really used to the speed that the car can reach. The interior has a change too, with new dashboard, infotainment system, innovating the solution. So really, we speak, it's a new car. The chassis has been modified too. So we are very pleased. We are very pleased because Bentega did enjoy a great success for, for the last years. And with a new Bentega, we have revealed at the end of June, we have a lot of interest coming back to us. So it is quite pleasing and especially during this situation with COVID and obviously the impact it has on all businesses. Having such a resurgence of customers coming back because we have a new Bentega is very pleasing to see. As you said before, you spoke about the quality of the car in all terrains. It was a question we asked ourselves too initially. Our customer, would they buy a car because of it? Are they asking for it? But we have one clear principle in everything we do. And this is part of the way we see luxury, is authenticity. So if you do an SUV, or you call it a estate, or you call it differently, but if you do an SUV, it's because it has all attributes of an SUV made in a Bentley way. 
with all what a Bentley has to offer. And there is absolutely no way to compromise on the basic qualities an SUV should have. And obviously, we took it much further to become consistent in our marketplace and to be the benchmark. But authenticity is absolutely essential. There is no luxury being considered as far as we are concerned if there is no substance. When you open the door of a Mulsan, as you said before, and you see all the details and the way it is done, it's totally benchmark. You cannot imagine what you are investing in terms of processes, skills of people to accomplish this level of perfection in every details. But we do it because it's authenticity. There is no other place at Bentley. I think the notion of authenticity that underpins luxury is really the responsibility of any brand, or in this case, automotive mark, that has a history as rich and successful as Bentley's. There are a handful of marks that are a century old, and that says a lot about the enduring qualities of cars that have been around that long. And uh, yes, you're absolutely morally obliged to maintain not just a benchmark of quality, but a benchmark of honesty. And certainly the Bentleys represent that. It's funny, the resurrection of brands or the acquisition of brands by other brands sometimes really dilutes or undermines the character of the original. But in this case, it's remarkable that under Volkswagen's aegis, Bentley has really become stronger and in many ways even more authentic. Because let's be honest, both for Bentley and their sibling Rolls-Royce, the 70s and 80s were sort of the dark ages. Even into the 90s, it was a difficult time for those companies. And if they hadn't been rescued by larger companies with vision, they probably would not be around today. Yes, it was difficult times. I mean, I was not in the company, but we had projects at the time and we knew what wanted, we knew what we needed to do. I don't know if you remember the Java concept. Yes. But a long time ago at Geneva. We, Absolutely. Gorgeous car. We had customers who wanted it. At the time, it was quite innovative too, and it was gorgeous. Et but the company never got the resources to make it up. And with the ownership of Volkswagen, we simply got resources, great management, and the willingness to do what is appropriate and to build the brand properly. Hence the reasons, or hence our success uh, today. Well, it sounds like there's some fascinating things happening at the factory. We'll talk about those as we continue our conversation. We'll be right back. If you're like us, you're looking for a way to make stay at home a little more special. Well, we're going to let you in on our secret. Join Rob Vices to get luxury cocktail kits, toys, tools, tech, and other incredible items delivered straight to your home on a monthly basis. The value is incredible. Your first box is going to be a $400 tequila curation, and you can sign up for as little as 99 bucks a month. Use the code PODCAST, and you'll save an extra 50 bucks at sign up. So head to robvices.com to bring exciting experiences safely to your door. Remember, use the code PODCAST and go to robbvices.com. We're back with Christophe Georges. Christophe, the factory itself is a storied place. How many people are employed there? We have about 4,000 people. That's a huge number of dedicated craftspeople and engineers and technicians. I remember meeting one of your interior artisans up at Pebble Beach a couple of years ago, and he was explaining how the veneers were made for the interiors of your car. Beautiful, thin, matched pieces of select wood that are applied to a substrate of aluminum. Yes. But what I found remarkable was not the technology and the craftsmanship, but the fact that he'd been doing it for 35 years. That's real dedication. Right. 
it is important for us to protect these skills. A generation of people from who are working in our company. Quite often, we have the father and the son working in the same company. And even three generations from time to time is quite amazing because they are totally passionate. They are passionate about what you do. And the best is to visit the factory as a consumer, as a customer. They are so happy to speak to you and to show you the way they, they do things. It's part of their pride. They invest their time, their life in doing what they love to do. And being able to show the way they do things to our customers is so rewarding to them. And customers appreciate it because it's authentic. It's not fake. It's not somebody explaining a process. Or, you know, it's just saying, this is what I do and this is the way I do it. And I love to do it. And nothing has been built. They just say it the way they want to. And it works fantastically well. It's a key component for the loyalty of our customer because when they start with this kind of understanding about our brand, why would you buy something else or replace your Bentley with something else? Because you become so attached to the brand because you have people behind it and you understand the value, the substance, and you understand the way we consider luxury. When people really understand what we do, then we have done well to keep them for some time with us. Once a customer, always a customer. You know, that's a very gracious invitation to your customer audience and a rare opportunity for a luxury consumer to actually have an opportunity to meet the people who build it. You think about a bespoke suit. Very rarely do you actually get to meet the tailor. You think about a wonderful wristwatch. It's a rare opportunity to go to the manufacturer and meet the watchmaker who's building a tourbillon. It's a rare opportunity to go to the winery and actually meet the people making your wine. But with the Bentley, it's possible to go and see it being built and meet the people who are actually making it. And I guess that leads us to a topic that's fascinating to me about Bentley. And that's a little secret you have up your sleeve called Mulliner. I guess Mulliner is a half millennium old. Bentley acquired it in 1959. Tell us what Mulliner is and what opportunities they avail your customers. Mulliner is our department to create specific products to our customers. And moving forward, we have organized it in three different divisions. So you have Mulliner Coachwork being in charge of the Bentley Bacalar our very exclusive open-top new car, which is going to be limited to 12 units only. Again, we are on radio. I cannot show it to you. It's a little bit difficult, but I encourage... I've seen the pictures and I would encourage any listener to go look it up. It is a remarkable thing and talk about an instant collectible. Yes, and it is only 12 cars and totally based or mirroring some aspect of the concept we have revealed last year to celebrate our centenary with some design clues, but as well some of the material we have shown in terms of ethical material, real luxury components, innovative solutions we have shown in our concept, the XP100 GT, which are in this car, which is basically a first kind of derivative of this concept. Second division is Mulliner Classic. You have seen the first project, which is the continuation of the blower. That's right. That's the four and a half liter blower Bentley. Didn't it take more than 600 scans just to ascertain the reproduction of the supercharger itself? Yes, because we don't have any drawings which were done in the past to build this car. So we needed to scan every single component and to put them again together just to be able to do it exactly the way we would have done it the time if we would have continued it. It's not a replica, it's not a reproduction. We are just doing more 
of what we have done before. And it's a different way to look at it. So they're already becoming classics. They are all sold as Bacalar are all resold as well. So we have an interest, a genuine interest in the market for extraordinary Bentleys or unique Bentley, very exclusive. This is a territory where we have not been in the past, and but this is something we want to develop moving forward. So Millionaire Coachwork, Millionaire Classic and the third one is Millionaire Collection, which is about creating additional derivatives on the current lineup. So we have shown some millionaire derivatives of our current product in the past, and this is a continuation with the DNA and the millionaire signature. So it's a little bit of coach work in our current cars, or a totally new car made for you, or a continuation of what we have done in the past. That's a huge undertaking if they were only to undertake one of those three endeavors. But the fact that all three are happening under the umbrella of, well, certainly the world's oldest coachmaker, it's a remarkable thing. With this so-called new normal that we have now and the global health crisis and the challenges that it presents, how do you see yourselves doing business, building cars, supporting your dealers, and engaging with your customers over the short term? Obviously, we are responsible and safety of people and our employees and the consumer and our partners. I mean, Safety of people always come first. So when situation happened in the UK, we simply closed the factory for seven to eight weeks because we didn't have all protective measures in place and we needed to stop it. Everything became confined. So speak about our employees when we did restart production. We restarted with 200 additional processes and measures being implemented in terms of distancing, in terms of protection, at a cost which was basically producing less and reducing the output of the factory until we can go back to some kind of normal but still having all these protective measures in place. On the external side, with our partners, they did all what needed to be done to implement protective measures in their dealership and obviously follow state regulation because in some states, they needed simply to close. And at some point, half of our network was closed. After sales services were a bit more open, but all protective measures have been taken for the safety of their own employees and obviously consumers. And our customers during this time still sold cars and they still want wanted to have their cars being delivered or their cars being serviced. So we implemented with our dealer partners, I have to say, during this time, I'm very proud of what they've been able to implement in terms of uh, new processes and measures in order to continue to satisfy request for customers. And during the pandemic, I mean, the last three months, quarter two, we still have an increase of sales against last year. That's remarkable. Yeah. Year to date, the first six months, we still have a 55% sales increase against last year. I believe we are the only brand in America who can say this. Obviously, this was supported by our new product line. None of these things would have happened without having been the forefront of developing protecting measures and implement strong processes, thinking about human lives first. I fully trust uh, the resilience of the Americans, like what we have seen at the last economic crisis. I'm sure they will come back strong, and I believe it's a fantastic market where we can operate with incredible customers. Privately, I develop relationships with some customers because I meet them during events. And it's just fascinating. The spirit 
and the way they make their achievements and the way they love their cars and the way they communicate with us. They don't communicate with us as, okay, you're a supplier of my dream. Mm -hmm. This is not exactly the relationship. Well, yes, we supply dream, but they communicate with us as being, okay, we are in collaboration. What do you want? What would make you enjoy it? What kind of experience? Let's go for a trip. We took some customers in Bolivia and Chile with our Bentegas to have an off-road experience. We can do these kind of things to have journey experiences with Bentley, which are totally unique. And by the way, we drove very fast on the Salt Lake in Bolivia. I'll bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> because a Bentley can drive very fast. Let's change the subject briefly. And let me ask you, without divulging too many secrets on your part or any, your customers expect Bentley to be at the forefront of luxury, but technology too. And certainly with the great power plants you've got, the W12, the V8 engine, you're looking forward to new technologies as well. Do you think your customers are going to embrace those and what might those be? The first part of your question is about current technologies. And if you look at the last generation of the Continental, French, Perge, Ration 3 and Bentega, in terms of technology, there is such a strong change which has happened. Technology just became benchmark in the luxury sector in terms of car connectivity, in terms of services we offer, in terms of infotainment system, in terms of safety technology technology in the car in terms of chassis, engine, efficiency today in the luxury market. If you look at the technology we have in our cars today, we are benchmarked. We have not been for many years, but we became. Moving forward, yes, we are embracing new technology. We have declared our intentions for electrification of Bentley. Right. And so we confirm that by 2023, we are going to have all our products electrified in a way, hybrids, for example. And then by mid of the decade, we are going to have our first electric car. Mm -hmm. We have always innovated in the luxury market, first contour, first SUV in the luxury sector. We might not have the first electric car, but it will be for us the car which will answer to the luxury attributes and what people expect from a luxury electric car. Mm -hmm. The technology is available today. You see a lot of cars emerging. When Bentley launch an electric car, it will still need to be a proper Bentley and answer to the motivation of customers. We don't want the joy, the emotions of our customers to be compromised in any way by new technology. New technology needs to generate an advantage on top of what they use to enjoy. That's right. If you cannot enjoy a Bentley when you want to enjoy it, because you need to have your eyes permanently on the range of miles you can still achieve, this is not a luxury experience. So that's what we are currently working on, so more to come, but this will be a big step to us. That's exciting. I'm sure your loyal customers will follow your lead in that regard because it will be exactly along the lines of what you've delivered in the past. Well, we're going to take a quick break with Cars That Matter. We'll be right back. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old. And today, I felt like I'm magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my but dream. fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies, wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the ones that The beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in life. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. 
Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kurtco.com slash a moment of your time. Welcome back to Cars That Matter. If it's okay with you, Christoph, I'd like to talk about some of your personal experiences with cars. Obviously, you're not just the CEO of Bentley. You're also a car enthusiast. Let's start from the beginning. What was your first car? <laughs> i tell you a little bit of my story, if I may. I was born with cars, simply because my father was a car dealer in France. Having brands or representing brands with garages, of course, I've been involved right from the start in what was his passion and doing as well internship at his garage and doing all the functions in a dealership, working in after sales, parts and mechanics, changing oil on car. My first job in the car industry was to serve gasoline to customers and I was cleaning cars, changing oil. That's fantastic. And then doing accounting and doing a little bit of sales. So I've done all the functions in the dealership a long time ago. Talk about authentic. And it was quite funny because with your dad, when you have a dinner or lunch as a family, he would always have something to complain about manufacturers <laughs> because he was a dealer. <laughs> of course, it's like the Hatfields and the McCoys, the oldest acrimonious relationships in the world. And then I was on the other side, but we still share the same table. So it's okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. But it was very inspiring for me. And obviously, I dreamt about cars since my youngest age. And uh, my first car was nothing exceptional. But, you know, cars which matter for me are the cars with which you have some emotions. And emotions are not only based on specifications or design or whatever. It's as well part of your memory. That's right. Because each car you have owned basically represents a time in your own history with a lot of memories. That's right. So my first car, and I loved it, was a Simca 1000. That's certainly a rarity. In America, we didn't have many that came over here, <laughs> although I saw one at a car show about a year ago. It was owned by Chrysler at the time. Yes, this was yes. my first car. And then I had many cars when I was students, and obviously very old ones and very cheap. One I totally rebuilt and painted again and to the Talmorizon, oh, okay. simply because my father was selling these cars as new. So I took the oldest he had in his used car lot and I reconditioned them myself. So that's the way I started with cars, but I still have the need to have my own little toys. <laughs> Even if they are cheap and old, it doesn't matter. And namely, I had a long time ago a Jaguar XGS V12 SC. It was a Targa. Oh, the SC. Yes, that was a rare one. There weren't many of those. Yes. There weren't many of those at all. The value was not very high. This car typically never made it in the collector market, but I loved it. I love the design of this car. Of course, it never became the successor of the E-Type Jaguar, but I love the car. I had fun. I've been admiring XJS coupes quite a bit lately, imagining that that might be one of the sleepers, yes. if you will. <laughs> Great design with the flying buttresses in the back and those beautiful heads. Headlights and yes, the early yes. series cars were absolutely exquisite. I liked it a lot. And then I had a 993 Targa with a panoramic roof. It was the first one with a panoramic roof. Oh, yeah, that was a rare one. Yes. It was quite rare. It was an old one, but I enjoyed it for some time. And I was in Germany at the time for Bentley, but then I was moving to America, so I needed to sell it. Unfortunately, because this car in terms of value took a lot later. So I sold it too early. Anyway, tough life. I think know. there are a lot of 993 owners like myself who rue the day they sold their 993, imagining <laughs> it was just a used car at the time. Yes. Then in America, I had a 997, so a 911, but there's a 997 Carrera S with a stick, which was nice. I enjoyed it for a few years until I found 
a used Bentley I was able to afford. Ah, what did you buy? I bought a GT Mulina 2005. It was quite old at the time. It was in 2010, five, six years old. The car was involved in some incident and I reconstructed it. That's the way I was able to afford one. Like I did in my old time when my father was a dealer. All of that experience came home to roost. I enjoyed it for a few years until I was able to migrate from this car to a Super Sports Convertible. And this is the best car I ever, ever had. 2011, so still first generation of Continental. Oh, yeah. You will say with the old convenience technology, infotainment, navigation system. Yes, that's right. It was a little bit old dated at the time, but the car is absolutely incredible. And I loved it. Yes, yes. It killed me when I needed to sell it. I sold it because I was moving to the UK for four years without knowing that I would come back to America. If I would have known, I would have kept it. <laughs> and what is funny is a guy to whom I sold it to contacted me again. When I came back, hey, I know you love your car. Do you want to buy it back for me? And he was asking a price which was higher than the price I sold him to me. <laughs> <laughs> so psychologically, I couldn't pay more than what I had four years ago. So I didn't do it. It's a fun story. And today, I don't have a car as a toy anymore. So I am a little bit frustrated. But in the meantime, I have two motorcycles. Ah, well, let's talk about those for a moment. I have an Harley Davidson, a Night Road Special. It's all black. I change the exhaust, a lot of noise. I'm very a mean guy. <laughs> Make a lot of noise. I don't have tattoos, but I have a lot of bracelets and everything you need to drive an Harley in a good spirit. Fantastic. And I just bought a totally different type of bike, a Ducati Street Fighter V4S. It's totally new. It's crazy. You'll get no argument from me there. Ducatis are some of my favorite bikes. What a fantastic thing. 208 horsepower. I am still my first 1,000 kilometers. So I cannot go too high in the revs. And the guy told me, you cannot go to 15,000. You, know, you have to stop at 8,000. <laughs> but coming from a bike which has totally different characteristics, I even wonder where and how I can go up to 15,000. It's not possible. The car is so fast, so agile. It's incredible. It's a totally different style, different drive. And it's kind of cool to have both one very sporty bike coming from Panigale, which is a race bike with no protection. That's right. That's absolutely right. That's the way the Street Fighter has been done. So it's a race bike. And then I have Marley for touring with a crazy style, I would say. <laughs> Enjoying some freedom. You know, I think if you scratch any car lover, you'll find a motor motorcycle enthusiast somewhere inside. I'm guessing that eventually you'll put another toy in the garage. What do you think that should be? I was considering buying again a GT. The problem is and when you try the new one, <laughs> it is not easy. Second generation super sport is incredible and will remain something in the market. But the new one is so perfect. Yeah. It's so fast, so much emotions and such an exquisite interior. The level of detailing, I mean, I don't want to sell one to you now, but as I'm driving the current one, I'm driving the current one quite a lot. <laughs> Why would I go to the other one? So I don't know yet. Christoph, you're the envy of every other automotive CEO in America because obviously Bentley is enjoying some great success now, not least to you and to the new model lineup. It's great to have an opportunity to talk to you about not just the Bentley automobiles, but about some of your personal passions. I really appreciate your time joining us. Thank you for having me today, Robert. I really appreciate it. It was a nice conversation. Thank you. 
Thanks to Christoph George, President and CEO of Bentley Americas, for joining us today on Cars That Matter. Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, edited by Chris Porter, sound engineering by Michael Kennedy, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross, and thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.